doing this for several years to all read together a book in the Bible, and this year it's going to be the Gospel of Mark. So uh, that'll begin all the 3Ds. Those of you who get the 3D devotions, they'll all be on Mark, and Tyler and I are going to plan to preach from the book of Mark during the season of Lent. So please notice that announcement. I hope you'll enter, you know, enter into that and be a part of that. This morning I do want to talk about Valentine's just for a little bit. As oftentimes does, we, we sermonize the sermon and we do the best we can. Sometimes the Lord changes directions. We try to stick with the Word of God, which is what we're supposed to do. And I do want to mention about Valentine's Day and love and heaven, but it did take a turn or two because uh, last week some things changed, as I'm going to share, and I'm hoping they'll all come together and make sense at the end of this sermon. I hope that you will be reminded that God has created a place called heaven that you won't be judged and I won't be judged. And I'm going to share with you how you can get it. So I don't want you to miss out on a tremendous place. Part of it, we're given some details we're going to look at today. It's going to be a wonderful place, far beyond what we could comprehend. I hope you're planning on going forever. So home and love and heaven is the title of the sermon. But Valentine's Day is, of course, February the 14th. Our daughter, Audra, our son-in-law, Blake, they are great with chocolate. She is due Valentine's Day. So anyway, we saw them last night. I kissed my daughter's belly and said hello to my grandson. Hopefully he'll be here coming soon. But anyway, Valentine's Day, joyful, fun day for a lot of people. Some people it's not. It's a tough day. So I'm going to share some things today that may hit close to home. There may be some of you that are having some marital problems. Uh, I ask God's grace and love and blessing on you. Some days like this make it tougher. Perhaps you're a student and you're dating right now and and you're struggling with whether or not to get a Valentine gift for your Valentine or should you're not, how long have you been dating long enough. I have two girlfriends in elementary school at Ivy That's tough when you're eight, nine years old. Sally Farr and... Uh, Sally Farr and Carrie Robinson, they were my two girlfriends, and I always had to get two gifts and all. It was a struggle, I understand. So some of you, Valentine's Day is exciting for some, but it's, it's tough for others, perhaps even painful. So I ask God's grace and love on you, whatever it may take. I want to go back to a Valentine's Day for my wife and I. On December the 12th, 1975, was my wife's first date. And she's the one who asked me out. I've shared this with y'all before. At Oahu High School, I'm standing there at break, and this good-looking, blonde-headed, by the way, she's still good-looking, This my wife comes over and invites me. And I'd known her since third grade, but we had never dated or anything. But she asked me out on a date, and it was December the 12th, 1975. And we went to her church, Bethlehem Baptist Church. We went to a youth Christmas party at her church. And by the way, her church is located in a suburb in Gallup, Alabama, around Gallup, suburb down there. And so uh, she approached me, and I said yes, and uh, we've been extremely blessed. I, I pretty much knew from the time I was 16 who I was going to marry, and we were blessed with that. You may have had that in your life as well. I hope you have, but we were. She is the bride of my youth. But I went to that Valentine's banquet, and that is kind of our Valentine's Day. I remember that date to this day. I usually get her something on December the 12th, 1975. I've always remembered it. Now, it's usually less than $1,000. 
Starburst don't cost that much and Skittles, but I get her something, just a reminder of that day, and thank her for asking me out on a date. While we were dating, pushing on into 1976, I went down to her church, Gallup Baptist Church, down here in Bethlehem, to hear her preach. And she sang a song that morning called Wayfaring Stranger. I'm going to make a point out of all this, I promise you, stay with me. I'm going to share with you some of the lyrics in just a moment. I went there, you know, to worship the Lord, not just to see Lana. Y'all, I, I went to see her. I didn't go to worship the Lord, okay? Man, y'all are all like, wow, way to go. <laughs> I was there to see her. I'm telling you, that's why I was there. But she sang Wayfaring Stranger. As it happened, this past Saturday, I had a funeral. Carmen McKibben's grandmother passed away. I'd never met the woman in my life. My grandmother grew up and lived in Kentucky. Pastor who was supposed to do it got sick, was not able to be there. I got called on the Friday evening. Could you do the funeral tomorrow? Well, the daughter, Lori, which is Carmen's mom, I said, tell me something about your mama. And one thing she said was mama loved bluegrass music and she loved Bill Monroe. Well, I didn't know who Bill Monroe was, so I looked it up on the Internet and I put in bluegrass gospel Bill Monroe and the first YouTube song that came up was Wayfaring had that on my mind, I decided to tie it in with a sermon this morning, and I'll share the lyrics with you that talk about going home one day. Regarding love and home about Valentine's, let me share this with you, that in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, I want to challenge the husbands here this morning. In Ephesians 5, it speaks to the wives, and it speaks to husbands, and it speaks to a roles and orders of which God has established. It has nothing to do with superiority. It has to do with the roles that God has established. Tremendous responsibility upon the husband. I'm sharing this because my wife is here. I'll just go ahead and confess. I haven't, I haven't done exactly what God's asked me to do. But I want to challenge the men. If we could do what God has asked us to do here, it would revolutionize our homes, our country, our nation, families, establishments. This is part of Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Jesus Christ has loved the church and gave himself for her. Oh, my goodness gracious. What a challenge. Harvey, I want you to love your wife as Jesus Christ has loved the church and gave himself for her. That wasn't enough. In verse 28 in Ephesians 5, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. It's an interesting way to put it. God blesses that and honors that. Nine times in Ephesians 5, it mentions to the husband you're to love your, your wife. What a, what a tremendous goal that God has given us. And it'll never change. It'll read that way next week. But I'm telling you, with God's help, and we've got, men, we've got to have God's help. We've got to have God's grace. We've got to know what the Word says in order to love our wives in the way that Christ has loved the church. I challenge you with that. That's one sermon just for the guys. You husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. I'm going to link into that as we talk about heaven and share with you a story that Jesus was confronted with in Matthew 22. You've got part of it up on the screen, but let me paraphrase to you. The Sadducees came to Jesus in Matthew 22. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the Pentateuch. 
but they didn't believe that people would rise again. And so they were going to question Jesus and try to trick him. So they said to this, Jesus, let's say that a, a, a wife is married to her husband and her husband dies. According to the Moses and the law of Moses, then the, the next husband in line would be that brother. He would have to marry her. Well, let's just say, Jesus said, that all seven brothers died. Now, I'm thinking that fifth or sixth brother by then would have figured it out. This ain't going to be good to marry this woman. But nonetheless, all seven of them died. This is the story. This is They're going to trick Jesus with this. So all seven husbands have died. So when they get to heaven, whose husband will be the husband of that wife? Jesus' answer. It's found in Matthew 22. Jesus answered said to them, you are mistaken because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. That's important for us too. We need to know the scriptures and we need to know the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels of God in heaven. It does say that we're like angels. We're still who we are. We're given a glorified body. Paul talked about it in Corinthians. But marriage is not going to be the same way. And Jesus said, like that, like the angels who do not marry, you won't be giving in marriage and marriage in heaven. Then he goes on to say, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read, which he knew they had read, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. We had a funeral the other day, and Tyler prayed, and I was sitting right here, and I remember being affirmed in my, my spirit when he prayed, and part of the prayer was God remind us that we are of the God of the living, not the God of the dead, and I was, <clears throat> amen. When was the concept of eternal life first given to human beings? I sent out the 3D. Harry Vance asked me this question Wednesday night. This is kind of another turn in my sermon. I'd already picked the scripture in Job, but I went back and I thought about that. When did humans first get the concept that this is not all there is, that there's something after this? I want to go to, first of all, to the book of Ecclesiastes, the third chapter. Oftentimes read as a service in death and resurrection. It's the scripture that says there is a time to be born and there's a time to die. There is a time to plant, and there's a time to harvest that which is planted. There's a time to, to laugh, and there's a time to cry. You know the passage. In that text, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has made everything beautiful in its time, but also God has put eternity in their heart, except that no one, no human can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. He is Alpha and He is Omega, but yet He has put eternity in their heart. Do you understand what that's saying? There is something within us as humans who know this is not all there is. And in fact, think about this, worldwide, all religions around the world, all cultures of almost all of them all around the world have some understanding of something in the hereafter. There's some kind of afterlife. I realize there may be a few, but I'm talking about a huge number. Have this built into them. And I believe part of it is simply because God put it there. I went back and did a little more research in the book of Genesis. This statement is found several times. This is in Genesis 49, 33. 
And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, the Bible says that he drew his feet up into his bed and he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. That phrase, gathered to his people, is mentioned several times in the book of Genesis. So already that understanding there's something after this. Then I do want you to see the scripture that I've chosen, the book of Job. Job 19th chapter. Most scholars believe that Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible. Some don't, but nonetheless, it's one of the oldest books in the Bible. That's just the truth. Listen to what Job said. Job's the one who suffered so much, but he made this statement, which is really prophetic about things that were to come. This is in Job 19, verse 25. For I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he, that is my Redeemer, shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me for something within us that knows that there's something after this. Job knew it. It's built into him. Paul said it even when he was about to die in 2 Timothy. You remember when he was about to, tradition has it that he was beheaded. But you remember Paul said, my departure is at hand. He's a dying word. My departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I've, I've kept the faith. I've run the race. I've kept the course. Remember when he said that? But he said, finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the judge will give me in that day. And not only to me, Paul said, but to all who love his appearing. I'm, I'm excited about him. I'm excited about Job. He's been preparing a place for you and I. He's got a home. It's built in within us. And Job knew it. I know that my Redeemer lives. I shared with you earlier. Again, a passage that's often used in service of death and resurrection. And I've used it at many of your loved ones. It's in the book of Revelation. It just gives us a glimpse and a taste of this place that we're going to get to go to. Revelation 21, 2 through 5. And I, John, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It was prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and, and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes there shall be no more death there will be no more sorrow there will be no more crying there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I'm going to make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and they are faithful. I've got so many questions about heaven. And in my mind, I can only let my imagination run in between the lines. Because we live in a world that has pain in it. We've all wept. No more death. I want to go where I don't ever have to preach a sermon. No more death. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more crying. All former things have passed away. So our minds, which are geared to those things, it's not just that. I want to see 
no anxiety, no worry, completely gone. And then he adds, I'm just going to make everything new. You can only imagine. I just saw the scripture the way this was written. I want you to go with me. I want you to go with me. Do you know how to go with me? I share with you the words from Wayfaring Stranger. It's an American folk song. We don't know who wrote it. Originated probably in the early 19th century. And as with folk songs, sometimes there's many variations. And sometimes the lyrics are a little bit different. And so is the tune. But this is, this is the tune that the bride of my youth sang on that Sunday in 1976. I'll give you just one or two lines. I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger in this old world. Have you heard it? That's all I'm going to sing. Because the latter part got real high and I can't get that high. But she can. I'm traveling through this world below. There is no sickness, toil, nor danger in that bright world to which I go. I'm going there to see my father. I'm going there no more to Rome. I'm just going over Jordan. I'm just going over home. I know dark clouds shall gather o'er me. I know my pathway's rough and steep. Talking about here. Golden fields lie before me where weary eyes no more shall weep. I'm going there to see my mother. She said she'd meet me there. Verse 3, I, I want to sing salvation's story in concert with a blood-washed band. I want to wear a crown of glory when I get home to that good land. I'm going there to see my brothers. They pass before me one by one. Last verse, I'll soon be free. From every trial, this form will rest beneath the sod. I'll drop the cross of self-denial and I will enter in my home with God. I'm going there to see my Savior who shed for me his precious blood. I'm just going over Jordan. I'm just going over home. We do get a lot of our theology about heaven from the hymns and songs that we sing. I want to ask you something. What if, what if there were no references about heaven at all in the Bible? You got to cut out quite a bit. But no references at all in, in, about heaven. How much hope would that take away from us? How much hope would that take away from us if, if there was no mention of eternal life, no mention of an afterlife, no mention of heaven? Would we have an assurance of eternal life if it was never mentioned? say that just to remind you of how many times it is mentioned. And God wants us to go there. The disciples were wrestling with the fact that Jesus kept saying, I've got to die. And I'm going to go away. They didn't want him to leave. They wanted him to set up his kingdom right then. And I, I wish he had him. I wish that was established. But that's not the way he did it. But Jesus said something to them in John the 14th chapter. And again, it gives us a glimpse of the way things are going to be. Jesus said to the disciples in John 14, and he reminds us, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, then believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Greek translates it, some translations, into many dwelling places. So again, our imagination. But Jesus said, I go to my Father's house, many mansions. And he said, If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place you. My goodness, what is he preparing? What 
kind of place is he prepared for you? He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he said, I will come again. I will receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Where I go, you know the way you know. You all know I preached on this before. Sheila made reference to it. Thomas said, Lord, this is the way he put it. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? What a great question. Jesus said, Thomas, I say to you and I, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one shall come unto the Father except through me. Recently I shared with you that I had witnessed to a man, but not just me, his cousins, his family had been praying for, they'd been witnessing to him. I just got to have the icing on top of the cake. I got to be there in the moment. I prayed with him to receive Christ, and I shared this passage. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I want that. I want to go see this place he's prepared for me. That's what I want to go. He received Christ, and Christ came to his heart. A week or so later, one of the cousins called me and said, we want you to come back. Would you come back and talk with him? He's still in the hospital. I said, sure. After we talked for a while, I held his hand. I said, I'm going to pray with you. But before I pray, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say the 23rd Psalm out loud and let that lead into our prayer. He said, yes, sir. The Lord's going to lead you. And I could hear him as I closed my eyes and started repeating the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Shall not want. I could hear him say it. And by the way, the most important word in the 23rd Psalm is the word my. And you can say it and you can claim my shepherd. My shepherd. He got down to the last verse and I could hear him repeating it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I remember what the last line is, but let's say we, we can't say it because it's what it wasn't in the Bible about eternal life. Remember what King David said? I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Days and ages. I've had relationships with him. I've been in the green pastures with him. I've walked beside still waters. He restored my soul. I will. Imagine what it would be like if we too would take Jesus Christ and say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I highly recommend you come and see Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You can know that today. I know I've preached two or three sermons, but let me pull it back to love and heaven and home. Because God loves us, He has created heaven for us. A place that he calls home. He intends to take us home. Praise the Lord. God, we love you today. We praise you today. Remind us this Valentine's Day and all this week, but remind us that every day we are loved by our maker. God, remind us also you've created a place for us called heaven. We get to go home. Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning that never made that decision, even right now in this moment, to say, Jesus, forgive me. Ask you to come into my heart. I want to make sure that I'm yours. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing the closing.